0: I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the letter to the Hebrews, where we're going to read the 13th chapter of Hebrews. As a church family, we have been going through the New Testament this year, looking at how every uh, letter in the New Testament begins and ends, the first chapter and the last chapter. And so if you, once you find Hebrews 13, you'll see that there's not uh, too much more in our Bibles to go as we're nearing uh, the end of the year and shifting now into the last quarter of the year. Um, But this morning, we're in Hebrews chapter 13. And this is what it reads. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we are, have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. <clears throat> I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly, and you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy, send you greetings, and grace be with you all. And that'll conclude our reading uh, for this morning. Uh, there's a sense in the writing that uh, the author knows he's sort of wrapping it up and he's coming down to his conclusion. And so he's highlighting several different things uh, in one chunk. And so if we were to, to try to actually do a deep dive on all the variety of things that this verse talks about, uh, this chapter talks about, it, it would make for more than than simply one sermon could do uh, justice to, so for me, it almost feels like those final instructions that you give when we know we're maybe leaving the house and we 're leaving our kids uh, with grandma or something, and so okay, now we 're going to shoot off like five or six things that we want to tell them before we go and and they might be different things, but we 're trying to squeeze in what we can and sort of our final instructions to them uh, before we 're absent from them, and uh, whenever we come to passages like this, uh, it's always a good reminder for us to recognize that much has been said before this. And so where most of this focuses on our behavior and ways that we are supposed to act, uh, the point is not that this is what we need to do in order for God to really love us, in order for uh, Jesus to really do uh, his saving work in us. Uh, the, The author has labored for 12 chapters to make clear that Christ has already come He has already died. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Everything that was necessary for our salvation has already been done for us. We could not have done it on our own. And we're saved by his grace freely, not by how well we obey or do all of the instructions that are contained within it. But in saving us, he also now gives us, because he loves us, wisdom for how to live. And that includes instructions about our daily lives, that we are to seek to obey, but not to obey out of an empty cup that's trying to fill ourselves up, but hopefully obeying out of a cup that's overflowing and thankful for the opportunities we now have to live and honor him. So we don't uh, climb, if you will, uh, or go through this chapter as people climbing up a ladder hoping to get to heaven. Uh, we we come to a chapter like this and hear its instructions about how to live because we believe our God has come down from heaven and already given us freely the grace of eternal life. And he'd already even said this. uh, If your Bible's open and you look at the end of chapter 12, he reminds everybody in the very last verse of chapter 12, in verse 28, he says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And so the, as we go into 13, we want to remember what he had just mentioned in the fact that we have an unshakable kingdom. That's already been given to us. It's already been made secure And we're not entirely sure when this letter was written and if uh, Jerusalem had already fallen at this point or was about to fall to Rome, but it would have been pretty vivid in the minds of most of their people that there was a war around them and so much that they had put their confidence in and the structures that they saw and they adored, they either had or would soon see just crumble to the ground. And they would see the results of the shaking that would take place. Uh, on a city that they loved or that they had heard about. And so the writer is making his case that listen, we should be grateful that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. No foreign enemy can take it from us. No natural disaster can wipe it away from us. What we have been given freely by God cannot be shaken, cannot be made weak, cannot be taken from any one of us. And in the good news that that offers us, we now offer our acceptable worship. And so verse uh, 1 of chapter 13 now begins these instructions. Well, what does that look like? Well, one, let brotherly love continue. Love one another in the family of God as brothers and sisters should love one another. That as God has given us this kingdom he has not provided simply individual salvation to us but he's placed all of us through his salvation into a larger family that we now have uh, bonds of commitment to one another as family even though we might have not had any relation or knowledge of each other before we came to Christ and in, if you read through Hebrews this week you'll, you'll know that it was one of their temptations to stop getting together as believers. And so the writer had to say, don't neglect getting together. Don't think it's for nothing that you make time for one another. Show that you love each other by the time that you make for one another. One of the definitions of love that I appreciate and heard is that love is focused attention. And we know when somebody is focused on us. Versus somebody is ignoring us or distracted and off to other things. And so many of these people are feeling weighed down. They're discouraged by the lack of fruit or results that they're seeing and they're starting to say, I'm not really sure it's that significant or important to keep getting together. And so this command here of letting brotherly love continue uh, with what else had been said along the way is to say, don't stop loving each other like family. Don't stop looking for reasons to be together, desiring to get to know one another more, desiring to help one another in the various seasons of life that we're all going to face. Because we have this unshakable kingdom that can't be taken away from us, keep on pressing in to the relationships that God has already given you in the family of faith. Then in verse two, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And this author would clearly have examples in the Old Testament of Abraham and others where this had happened uh, to them, where unknowingly they were encountering angels. That might not be on our radar in an ordinary uh, uh, daily experience, but the author is saying, don't neglect the everyday opportunities we have to encounter God and to encounter his servants. In chapter one, he had said that he still is working through his angels on our behalf. And if he is still working through them on our behalf, there might be ways and times that we actually encounter them completely unaware. And so the first command of uh, allowing brotherly love to continue is to allow these relationships that you already have to go deeper but here now also the the command to say, but that doesn't mean we also ignore those who we don't yet know, that we don't ignore those who are strangers, but we seek to also show hospitality to people that we've never met, that we welcome them into our homes, that we welcome them to our tables for meals, that we build brand new relationships, not ever knowing for sure who it might be, uh, who this stranger is in need, as Amy and I were uh, driving to an event yesterday morning, I, I just had asked her, I said, you know, one of the things I'm reflecting on is this uh, reality that we might entertain angels unaware and said, so have you ever had any experiences where you think that you encountered somebody that you just weren't sure afterwards who they were or, or what they were doing, but you maybe sense that it was uh, God's kindness and, and graciousness uh, to you and that. And so we were both thinking through different experiences of our own lives, but then it also immediately reminded us of a few other stories that Scott had recently shared uh, in Ukraine uh, that he didn't share when he was with us uh, on a Sunday uh, back in August, but even among friends of his, one in particular who was now in the very earliest days of the war trying to flee and knew that likely wouldn't have any more access to funds uh, in his debit card and so drove as far as he could uh, and made it eventually to an empty tank and pulled over to a gas station and told his wife i I, i'm pretty sure this isn't going to work i'm going to go inside and uh, i'm just asking you to pray and you pray and i'll go inside Went inside and everything he tried didn't work except that when he came outside, he found out that while his family was praying, a man had come up to his wife. He was a business owner, a furniture maker. And he had to leave so quickly, he didn't take the opportunity to necessarily even close all of his deals. But somebody came up to his wife and said, I want to give this to you. And it was the cash for a month worth of wages. And it was one of those experiences of, was that really somebody who owed him that much money and spontaneously gave that? Or was that somebody else? uh, Was that God intervening in a unique and special way to say, here's the resources that you need? Another woman who was crossing uh, a road that had become labeled death road because so few people made it through this road and she was able to make it uh, eventually to refuge and people looked at her and said, well, where is the person who was with you? And she said, what do you mean? Well, where's the person who was with you? You, There was two of you coming. And she looked back and said, no, there was nobody with me. I, I was by myself the whole time. But then she herself recognized and said, wait, the person who was with me is still with me. He's with all of us. And we never know those types of encounters that we might have, so much that God does on our behalf that it's not his purpose or prerogative to sort of shine a neon sign saying, here I am, I'm doing this for you, but to quietly, uh, secretively, humbly assist us in so many ways that only maybe in eternity will we be able to look back on our lives and say, oh my goodness, God, you spared me here, you spared me there, you spared me here. So one of the experiences that I brought up with Amy that I said, you know, I can't, I can't, tell you I saw something but I was as a teenager one time given the responsibility to drive a car with a group of friends it was an after church event we were actually in Phoenix Arizona and for some reason uh the mother in the home thought I would be a more responsible driver and so she gave me the keys to her suburban and it was filled with nine plus teenagers in it and so she said you're driving and I said okay but I'm not used to driving something that big and as we were driving uh we got to a situation where uh, There was construction cones set out, and we had to sort of snake through construction that was happening. And I did not slow down sufficiently like I should have. And so we veered left, and then we veered right, and then we veered left. And I realized I had no control over the car because now the whole weight of the vehicle was now doing this. And so even when I let go of the steering wheel, it went back and forth a few more times. And I can't tell you, well, then I saw hands take over the wheel and I saw some miraculous thing. But it was this moment of just completely letting go and praying, God, please don't let this flip. Please don't let this flip. And it didn't. And I'm so thankful that I'm still here, that all those people are still uh, here and around. And there are so many instances like that in our lives that we might only in eternity one day know of all the times that God had specific provision for us. So the, the charge to us is do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. God's help for us might be in all kinds of places and that they would even be so masked that we would be able to see ourselves as the people helping them when they're actually the ones helping us. That's pretty profound that that God would be uh, willing to work in such ways that we would play the, ro- the role of hospitality for others when in fact they're helping us. But this goes along with what Jesus said when he talked about in the future judgment day when he would separate the sheep and the goats and he would say that the sheep were those who when they saw him hungry they fed him. When they saw him naked they clothed them. When they saw him in need they served him. And one of the often surprising parts of that verse is usually even the sheep are like, but when did we do that? When did we see you in all of those situations? And he says, well, when you've done them to the least of these, you've done them to me. And so there, Jesus is encouraging his followers to say, every person you encounter, you have this opportunity to treat them as if you were treating me. And so if I were to say to you, tomorrow morning you get to have breakfast with Jesus. Like when you wake up and you have coffee, that's who you get to talk with tomorrow. How would that affect you today as you thought about the anticipation of, oh my goodness, I get to have breakfast with Jesus. Now, you know that you're not Jesus and the people in your family aren't Jesus, but what if you thought of them like that when you said, you know what, tomorrow morning, I get to start my day with somebody made in the image of God. And how I treat them is actually a reflection of what I would do if it was Jesus sitting at the table. And so I can show them this sense of joy to be with them, this desire to get to know them more, this uh, love that would want to alleviate any needs that they might have because in serving them and in caring for them, there is this opportunity to treat them hopefully like all of us would sort of raise the bar in our encounters with Jesus or in our encounters with any of his uh, servants. Then he goes on to say remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated. So if in verse two it's being ready to receive those who come to us, verse three is to have a posture of being willing to go to those who could never come to us. And so there are people who will never knock on our door and ask for help. They'll never reach out by phone and say, hey, this is what's going on. They're limited in their ability or access to get the things that are needed. And so we, one, don't want to miss literally prisons that people are in. And as they're bound and stuck there, we have the opportunity to visit them. But we can also think of this across other lines of all kinds of people that we might have the freedom to reach out to them in ways that they can't reach out to us. And our opportunity to obey the Lord is not simply to wait until strangers come to us and play a role of hospitality, but to take initiative and actually go after those who are lost, those who are wandering, those who are imprisoned, and they themselves cannot come to us. See, this is where when you start to go through these in all of their detail, they, they almost start to feel heavy because you realize uh, none of us would do this perfectly. (laughs) None of us are great hosts for every stranger who comes our way, and none of us have the energy to constantly go and take the initiative to help others. And so the goal in going through this is, one, not to feel the weight of it, but to feel the opportunity within it, that God is calling us, uh, because we have this unshakable kingdom, to live a worshipful and sacrificial life because part of what the author has been making a case through this whole letter is to say, we will no longer bring our animals to be sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem. We will no longer bring our grain offering there as a celebration for our bounty, because what Jesus has done has provided salvation for all of us. But then he doesn't want us to think, oh, okay, so now there's nothing that we have to do because everything's been done and everything's been given and we're saved so we actually just get to relax for the rest of our lives. He's saying, no, no, no. Now what we get to do is to see our whole life as an act of worship. And so how we treat people in our homes, among our family, how we treat strangers, how we pursue those who are imprisoned, all of those now are the ways that we actually worship God and that we make sacrifices, sacrifices of our time, sacrifices of our money, and all of those things, that they are the ways in which we offer to God the acceptable worship with reverence and awe. That worship is not something we simply do when we're gathered here and sing a song, but it's what we have the opportunity to do every moment of our lives. Because we're no longer mostly focused on what can we bring to the temple, but what can God now through us and his salvation bring to the world? These are even just a few of the things that we can do. This is not a list that sums it up in its totality. Then he goes on to say, let marriage be held in honor among all and the marriage bed undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So how we keep Uh, make and keep the promises that we give to people is another way that we worship and that we sacrificially give of ourselves to one another. And in the uniqueness of that marriage bond to make those promises, he's saying not only should the husband and wife honor that, but actually everybody should honor that. Everybody should encourage that we keep the promises that we make, that we offer the sacrifices of praise and how we treat and love one another and so this is something that single or married all of us are supposed to hold up in high regard so that it has its honorable place and that anytime the world tries to um, minimize the consequences of sin and how it disrupts that relationship as christians we're supposed to hold our ground and say no the God who's given us an unshakable kingdom, the God who is faithful to us in each and every circumstance, wants to work out within us that we also be people who keep our word, who love like he loved us, who are sacrificial and worshipful in the ways that we treat other people. Then verse five, keep your life from the love of money and be content with what you have. It's challenging. Um, so much of our culture regularly puts before us the things we don't have and the things that we think would be better if we actually had them rather than encouraging us to be content with what we already have. But this author knows that we can get sideways so many times if rather than allowing money to be something that helps provide for us and then provides for those around us, if it becomes our idol and it becomes the source of our love, it will have a profound damage to ourselves and to the relationship around us. Uh, We've said this before, but it it was from St. Augustine in his work, The City of God, when he said, the city of man is where we love gold and we walk on people rather than the city of God where we love people and we're gonna walk on streets of gold. We have the opportunity here and now to show that because we have this unshakable kingdom that can't be taken away from us and our love is first in God and who he is, that we can be generous with the things that we have, that nobody around us would think we care more about our stuff than that we care about them. And then he grounds this again for all of us to say, why, how could we live this way? Well, we can live this way when we believe the truth that says God will never leave us or forsake us, that he is our helper. And so we do not need to fear what anyone would do to us. That he is the one who provides our sense of security. And many times we fall into. And idolatry towards money because we do see it as our sense of security. And as our anxiety level goes up or down with the resources that we have, and we we, it's revealed to us that we're placing too much faith in what we have. The challenge of this uh, chapter is to say if our if our sense of security is really in God, and He has promised that He will never leave us or forsake us. And he has promised that he is the same yesterday and today and forever. Then why do we still fear so much? Why do we still sacrifice so much the goodness around us in the pursuit of more things that won't ultimately make us happy? When our happiness is in God, we find the freedom to have a right relationship with all those things. It doesn't mean we don't have things. It doesn't mean we don't still uh, work hard in the opportunities that we have. It doesn't mean we don't grow wealth and the resources that might belong to us, but we do it for a different reason. We do it not just so that our lives would be better, but so that other lives would be made more rich, that other lives would benefit from any blessing that God might give to us in that regard. And then even as he now offers all of these different instructions, uh, there's a word of warning to say, even if we obey this perfectly and live this radical life of worship and we're sacrificial, don't expect that people along the way will congratulate you. Don't expect that you'll become more popular if you somehow live in this way that is mostly other-oriented because nobody lived this way better than Jesus himself and he ended up suffering outside the camp. And so there, there is a challenge in our obedience that many times it will come at A cost of social status or other people who don't appreciate what we're doing and they relabel what we're doing as loving, as hateful and all kinds of things. And so he's preparing them already to say, you have to be motivated to do this because you believe it's God who's ultimately calling you to this way of life. Because if you're just doing it for the approval of others or to look good in their eyes or in a competitive spirit with other people, you'll do it for a little bit and then you'll give up but if the ground of why you and I pursue this type of life is because it's ultimately God who's calling us to it, then we can persevere even in the midst of the challenges or the criticisms that come our way when we ourselves now are outside the gate, outside the camp, um, the sort of laughingstock of other people for all the things that we won't participate in. And he's aware of that. It was convicting. I actually was contacted this past week by the the Bath Country Journal wanting to do a story about the Sobies, and so they had a list of questions that they wanted uh, me to answer uh, about them and their work and how we got connected with them. and the last question was also uh, kind of like basically, what good do you think they can do as this situation just seems to be so hopeless? And so I was trying to think of how to answer it, you know, not knowing who, who will read this, but if they'll allow it to go unedited to say, yes, in one sense, physically, this seems hopeless. But one of the reasons that they still have work to do is because part of their work is to tell people about the hope we have in Jesus. Because for all of us, if our hope is in this life only, then the tragedy of this war or in our lives is made permanent upon death. If our hope is in this life only, then the tragedies that we experience are made final and permanent in death. But if we have a hope that transcends death itself, because we follow somebody who is risen from the dead, Now we actually have the resources we need to be generous in this life to serve other people and to trust God with all the things that continue to happen that don't make sense to us and that are completely outside of our control. And that ring is a sign that I should be done. The last thing will be this final blessing. Uh, In verse 20, uh, we'll say it again even after we sing together, but... There's this wrap-up in in recognizing that we might suffer outside the camp. There might be uh, embarrassment in the work that we do. There will be suffering along the way, but that we have the pleasure and the, the, the good word spoken over us by our Father. This is verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, May he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so if our life is mostly lived by the foundation of the unshakable kingdom and also in anticipation of the good word that he speaks over us, We have every reason not to be weighed down by a chapter like Hebrews chapter 13, but to have our heads held high at the opportunities that our Heavenly Father actually wants to use you and me to do things in this world that are pleasing in his sight. And he promises we'll never be alone as we do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the hope that we ultimately have in you that your kingdom is unshakable that your covenant with us is forever that you will never, no never forsake us that your character is unchanging that you are the same yesterday and today and forever and so that we can fully rely and rest upon you And we can trust that everything you call us to in uh, loving one another, in welcoming strangers, in um, going after and pursuing those who are imprisoned and bound, unable to come to us, as we seek to honor you in the way uh, that we uphold uh, the wisdom that you have given in marriage, as we seek to be free from the shackles of materialism and greed and to be generous with the things that you've given us. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit will give us everything that we need to do your will. And so we pray that you would help us to go with a sense of joy and anticipation and the hope that we have to be a light in a dark place because you are ours forevermore. In your name we pray, amen.